T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, David Hoff, Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. Talking baseball as we do 52 weeks a year, every Saturday morning. And it is a pleasure now to go out to our guest hotline, sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that is where we find the pride of Oakland High School and Elmhurst College, former pre- and post-game White Sox broadcaster, the voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, Dave Wills. Dave, good morning. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, uh, you know, I'm looking out the window of my press box right now, and the uh, you know phrase is looking out the window because I still have the windows shut. It looks <laughs> great outside, but uh, I know it's a little silly. And these windows might stay shut. Uh, this uh, Chicago guy is more of a Florida guy now and uh, not used to 37 degrees anymore. <laughs> Wilsey, welcome in, and uh, always great to talk to you. Always great to catch up. I hope the family's doing great. It's nice that you're home a little bit for Easter uh, weekend here with the family. That that's that's pretty cool. But uh, looking at your ball club right now, uh, obviously most people look at the American League East as the most difficult division, not only in baseball now, but maybe just maybe one of the most difficult divisions in the history of division play going back to uh, 1969. Your thoughts about where the Rays are at right now and the challenges ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to the Joe Madden days when he was our manager, he used to term the American League East as not only the toughest division in baseball, but maybe the toughest division in sports. I mean, and, uh, you know, you're looking at a Rays team that's challenging the big boys, New York, Boston, now Toronto. I mean, Toronto's got an entire country behind him now and uh, a pretty good uh, TV network uh, situation going. And even Baltimore, which uh, has fallen on some hard times, should be a heck of a lot better. But uh, you know what? We've been the beast of the East the last couple of years. We are the defending division champs, not once, but twice. Uh, We went 40 and 20 in 2020 during the COVID uh, abbreviated season. And uh, I don't think that was a fluke. Obviously made it to the world series and lost to a better team of the Dodgers. And then last year, um, you know, Knew we were going to be a pretty good team despite making a couple of moves. And next thing you know, when the dust settles, even losing Tyler Glass now, we had some young guys come in and uh, really, really uh, pick up the slack. Beginning with Shane McClanahan, uh, even like the kid who pitched yesterday, Drew Rasmussen, and down the line. We made some moves on the run, opened up a lane for Wander Franco. So we won 100 games last year. So it's kind of like, I, I think I read an article finally about two weeks ago where somebody said, why are we still surprised by what the Tampa Bay Rays do. I'm not surprised. We're a good team. We're a great organization. 
This team, uh, as, as I said, won the division last year, and then every one of its affiliates made it to the postseason. So that tells you, too, that the minor league system is is pretty well stocked. But uh, we're, we're struggling right now. Andy and I were talking about it last night during our game. Uh, we look like we're just a tick off. I mean, Wander is a special talent. Uh, after having a couple of tough days, he came back out last night and hit the ball all over the place. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple other guys that are doing some things. Jimon Choi drove the ball a couple of times yesterday. But the, the rest of the lineup right now is a little more uh, missed than hit. So we're kind of like, uh, as I said before, anybody who knew me growing up in Oklahoma knew that I used to drive around on my dad's old 69 Vista Cruiser station wagon. And it took a little while for that baby to warm up. But once it did, uh, it would cruise along. And even last year when we won 100 games, guys, we uh, we were 19 and 19 at one time. So I, I'm, this isn't a surprise to see us struggle a little bit out of the gates. Dave, Dylan Cease really was dealing last night, five and two-thirds, uh, one run, and he had everything working for him. Today, Michael Kopech goes against Corey Kluber, and you're going to see likely uh, another young right-handed uh, power arm with, with a ton of potential. What is your perception of the White Sox from afar and, and what you saw last night? Is this a team that you think, boy, if they can stay healthy, if they can get it all together, and those are huge ifs with this White Sox team, that this is a team that has – World Series, uh, legitimate World Series aspirations? I think the healthy part is what, exactly what uh, is a big key for this team. I mean, you look at their everyday lineup, and I know they're without a couple of guys right now still. I just saw Josh Harrison walking around the tunnel. I think he was coming to talk to you guys, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, just about a half hour ago. But they, they've got a great lineup. They've got a really good pitching staff. The back end of the bullpen, I know Liam Hendricks struggles. I mean, I hear it all from Sox fans. Uh, you know, you guys, we're, we're not good right now. We're hurt. We're this. The team I watched last night sure looked pretty good. Uh, and the team I've been reading about a lot uh, over the last uh, few months is, is, is pretty good. Now, the key is going to be staying healthy. Uh, we see a couple of people uh, from the American League and one of them from the American League Central, the Twins, a lot during spring training. And uh, while they agreed that uh, the White Sox might have the best roster, their biggest concern for the White Sox was if a handful of guys go down, they didn't think that the White Sox had the minor league backups to come in and, and fill the void that you would need in order to uh, make it through a 162-game schedule. But if they can stay healthy, uh, they've got the pitching staff that's uh, set up to do some damage uh, from, t- from the beginning of the, the rotation, top of the rotation with Giolito and company to the back of the uh, bullpen. And then their offensive lineup, Andy and I were talking about it yesterday during the broadcast. You know, we see the Blue Jays. We see the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, they don't take a back seat to anybody. That's the big, booming voice of my good friend and Dave's good friend, Dave Wills, the voice of the Tampa Rays. Now, is it 18 or 19 years, Willsey? 18. This is uh, our 18th season, uh, and it's hard to believe. I was just down with somebody that last night, and they're like, you've been gone for, what, about 12? I said, this is 18. Uh, They've been great to us, and uh, it's been a great run. And, you know, my timing was a little off. Uh, I was... I was here until 2004. Maybe my timing was right for White Sox fans. You know, I left. They win a World Series. I go to the Rays, and I get Lupinella to quit uh, managing for a little while. But uh, ever since then, it's been a, uh, it's been a pretty good run. Well, Z, growing up here in Chicagoland, and uh, you know, now you and I have been friends for, uh, I think, 37, 38 years, which is amazing. We were in business together when you first started out. Um, Pat Foley has uh, hung him up and, and gone the other way. Your, your impact as a young broadcaster uh, by the great voices of Chicago and the Pat Foley's of the world, 
uh, when you were on your way up the chain? Oh, my God, how can you not be impacted? I mean, uh, you know, growing up, listening to Harry Carey do the White Sox and then Harry and Jimmy there in the mid-'70s to the late-'70s. And, you know, obviously even though I wasn't a uh, Cub fan, you know, hearing Jack Brickhouse, Vince Lloyd, uh, you know, uh, Lou Boudreau down the line, and then you get to the hockey and, you know, Lloyd Pettit. To this day, I tell the story that I still used to think that, you know, the, the, the Blackhawks would walk by Lloyd Pettit before the game and go, Hi, I'm number, you know, I'm, I'm number two white. I'm number three Keith Maggis, and I'm number four, uh, you know, I'm, I'm number five Billy, you know, and this going, you know, number nine Bobby Hall, number ten Dennis Hall, and Jim Pappen, and I, I didn't know he got rosters and all that other stuff, but you know, then the transition over to Pat Foley, Jim Durham was absolutely spectacular. Joe McConnell, I mean, uh, you're you were spoiled growing up in Chicago because of the incredible amount of great announcers at that particular time. And I'm sure I was skipping over a couple of guys, but uh, you couldn't help but be influenced by it. And I think, you know, one of the things that Andy and I always tell young broadcasters is to be yourself. There's only one you, but uh, I truly, truly believe that there's a a lot of Pat Foley in me, Harry Carey, uh, Jim Durham uh, down the line. And, uh, you know, I, I sit there and even as I close out a broadcast now, it's funny because I use the Pat Foley line, which, I found out later it wasn't even his line, but it's, uh, I hope you enjoyed the broadcast, and we know you enjoyed the outcome. We were coming back from a Hawk game about 20 years ago, my wife and I, and we were listening to the end of the Hawk game, and he says that, and my wife looked at me and said, you stole it. And I said, no, I didn't steal it. I'm just following it. I mean, it's a totally different sport. And then when I saw Pat a few years ago, I told him about that story. He said, well, I stole it from Bob Elson or something. So, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we, we it, it, it was just I'm so happy – I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Pat, you know, that uh, he's had 39 incredible years. I'm disappointed because as I listen to him and I still watch the Blackhawks uh, pretty religiously, uh, he still has his A game. And uh, it, it's, you know, who knows what's going on, if he's being voluntold to move along or whatever. But uh, it's, it's, it's a shame because uh, when he and, uh, you know, Eddie Olchek do games, it's still the best in the business. And I, I know our Tampa guys are really, really good, but uh, it, it's hard to be Pat Foley, that's for sure. And I wish him the best. And he was at the top of his game Thursday night, Wilsey, uh, when he was saying goodbye. Dave Wills from Tampa Bay, the voice of the Rays, uh, joins us here on Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to score. You know, I think it just underscored hearing Pat the other night say goodbye, the profound impact that announcers can have on the fan experience, on, on kids growing up who either want to get into broadcasting or just play the sport. And I just wonder, you, you mentioned a, some Chicago – broadcasting icons who was it you tried to emulate who was it as you grew up in Oakland that you wanted to be like when you were uh, a professional well there's no doubt no it wasn't Jack Trees wasn't Jack Trees it was it was there's no doubt it was Harry I mean uh, you know everybody's called yelling holy cow you're doing play-by-play of your wiffle ball game on the front lawn I had neighbors after I got the uh, the the raise job or the double raise uh, at the time who, who called up and said I knew you were going to be a broadcaster. I remember listening to you call wiffle ball games while you were playing on your front lawn. And uh, <laughs> uh, so Harry, Harry was the guy. And then I was spoiled. I was so fortunate that my first year with Kane County that uh, Jimmy Pearsall lived uh, in Wheaton at the time and uh, was uh, working with the Cubs as an outfield uh, instructor. And he came to a couple of Cougar games and he came into my booth and, and did a few innings with me. And the first thing that he looked at me and he said, Dave, I listened to you yesterday, and my goodness, you wore me out. You were yelling in the first inning. You were yelling in the third inning. You were going crazy. <laughs> he said, Harry told me all the time to kind of build up to the end of the game. 
take it easy, make it an easy listen. And he gave me some great advice and uh, did a few games with him. And, and I'll never forget, um, you know, Bruce, I think you and I were doing a show after uh, Harry passed. And even though at that right. particular time, uh, Jimmy Pearson was working for the, well, now the station you guys are on, and we were on another station, we had him on as a guest. And I remember as he was saying goodbye, he complimented me for moving on and being part at that time of the White Sox broadcast. It was one of the biggest compliments I could ever have. But you're right. I mean, you think about Harry, I think about him back at the old ballpark. He looked like he was having a blast. And then he made people want to come to the ballpark and have that same blast. And Andy and I try to do the same thing. We, we try to be educational and, uh, and entertaining. And I think uh, for 18 years, we've done a pretty decent job of it in, uh, in St. Petersburg. And hopefully we can do it for another, uh, I don't know, I'm, I, I don't know if I can do it for another 18, but um, we'll see how long it goes. We're having a blast doing it. <laughs> hey, Wilsey, talk a little bit uh, to our great listening baseball audience and Dave, uh, David about the night that a riot almost broke out when we were doing a post-game show at U.S. Cellular Field at that particular point. Uh, Wilsey always did the pre- and post-game. The manager? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I didn't ahead. know we were going to need the blue chicken uh I didn't know we were going to need the uh, Blues Brothers chicken wire around our stage. Uh, you know, we, we were fortunate enough that we had good times in our Friday night bullpen bar gatherings. And a lot of times players would stop by. Burley would make a pretty uh, regular appearance here in Rowland at the time. Uh, Keith Folk, a number of guys. And there was a little bit of a stretch where uh, old Terry Bevington would kind of make his way down there. And uh, I don't know, there was one time where it was really getting kind of rowdy. And I think they had like a fire Bevington banner going on in the background. And then... Yeah. Uh, he was starting to talk, and next thing you know, an ashtray came flying uh, from the back of the room toward the stage. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a little ugly. Uh, but uh, it was always kind of different when, uh, when, the, when Boomer would come by and make a visit after a game. And, uh, like I said, I didn't know we were on the verge of having to call the Bertucci's and seeing if they could put some chicken wire around the stage like the Blues Brothers uh, at uh, Bob's Country Bunker. Dave, it was, it was always, always lively. It yeah. wouldn't be an interview ahead, with Dave, Dave Wills if, if we didn't have a Joe Madden question because for years you were the Joe Madden uh, whisperer and the, the, the source of, of a lot of uh, Madden questions because of your relationship with him when he was the manager of the Rays. Last night, as the manager of the Angels, Joe Madden walked Corey Seager with the bases loaded in the fourth inning to uh, bring in a run and thought that it would avoid a bigger inning now, it didn't work out at the time. The Angels come back and, and beat the Rangers. So I, I suppose that uh, all is well that ends well. But I don't think it was a decision that made any sense to a lot of people. It made no sense to me. And I think it's one of those situations that to kind of flip the Joe Madden thing. It, because it worked out doesn't make it a good decision. I mean, it, maybe it is outcome bias. But I don't know mm-hmm. what Joe was thinking. Do you? It's not the first time he did it. I think Joe did that uh, as well back when we were playing the Texas Rangers when uh, uh, Josh Hamilton was going nuts and doing what he was doing. I think we walked him. Is that right, Andy? Didn't we walk him with the bases loaded? Uh, Andy sat in the booth with me, and we ultimately won the game because of that move. Uh, yep. You know, Joe's going to do things that are unconventional. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, it, it, hey, it, it ended up working, like you said, outcome bias. Uh, you know, not everything Joe's going to do is going to be 100%, but at that time he probably felt and he had the information at hand that said, you know, this is our best option. 
Well, Z, we uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us so much. Uh, give our best like to Andy said, and uh, they did win the game. I'm sorry, you had cut out for a couple of seconds nope. there. Um, sorry about that, guys. Yeah, but ultimately they won the game, just like the Cub fans that I saw last night that said, well, Joe almost blew it in game seven. Well, you know what? You guys are still walking around with a World Series championship from 2016, right? So That's it, right. it, it you, must have worked out it. pretty good. But thanks. I appreciate right. you guys. Thanks for having me, man. This was great. Thanks, Dave. Good stuff. Dave Wills, the voice of the Rays. Uh, pride of Oak Lawn and Elmhurst College. Good Chicago baseball guy, Bruce. A lot of good memories there. That Joe Madden thing was a bit bizarre, though. Come on. Did, did, I know it worked out, but that was as strange of a decision given the circumstances. It's April. Is that it's any, the fourth inning. Is, is that any different than um, Lou Pinello walking Andre Dawson five times in a game intentionally? I, I, I think that's another bizarre decision i suppose to to use one bizarre bizarre decision to justify another i don't think makes either one of them smart or right here's the old baseball adage okay and it, it applies here maybe david every game when pitchers and catchers get together and they have the pitchers meeting with the pitching coach they look at the lineup and they go they look at one guy whoever is hot or whoever is, you know, burning up the league at that particular time, and they go, this is the guy that we're not going to allow to beat us. And every manager, uh, when he prepares for a game, has that same thought. There is a guy from, you know, X inning on or situation on that you're not going to allow to beat us. Seager's been very hot. Okay, so this was, in Joe's mind, I'm going to give up one run. I'm not going to give up four, okay, at this point. And that was the thinking. I'll, I'll text him later in the, in the, game, in the day today, and uh, next week we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it, or we'll have Joe on, and, and he'll talk about uh, some of these decisions. But, uh, again, I think it's uh, – I, I, the thing I like about it is it's decisive, it's controversial, and it's done by somebody that has – the uh, wherewithal and the experience to get away with it. If a rookie manager or a second-year manager did something like that, he would be in the owner's office, in the, in the, in the president's office of the team the next day trying to explain, right? Yeah. But it's and, Joe blanking Madden. And, and to Joe Madden's credit, post-game, his explanation said, number one, he wanted to avoid the beginning. But number two, quote, and just to stir up the group, quite frankly <laughs> – I mean, there's part of me <laughs> that always will respect the nonconformist in Joe Madden and the fact that we are talking about it this morning and they're talking about it in baseball cities everywhere and they're looking at this strategy and they're evaluating the metrics and all of these things are true. And Joe Madden, once again, has accomplished one thing. He's made us think. And Joe Madden consistently did that, whether it was in Tampa or Chicago and now Anaheim. He makes you think about things, and I don't agree with the decision, but I have given it a lot of thought, and I understand that point of view, but I just think it was a bad decision. He was going to bring Chapman in the game, too, but he doesn't have him on the team at this point. So, so Somewhere <laughs> Kyle have... Hendricks cringed. Uh, you know what? Uh, two nights ago, uh, he walked the bases loaded, and, uh, and, uh, and Boone had to take him out of the game. So <laughs> it's not always, not always yeah. a great situation for any not manager, always. but... 
you know, again, uh, I, I think that's the beauty of baseball, isn't it? That, like you said, we're talking about this uh, yeah. a game that really has no 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 impact on Chicago at all, other than Joe won a World Series here, and Joe had some great teams here, and Joe had a great impact here, and will will forever probably be talked about. Well, we are going to keep the interesting conversation going when we come back. Willie Harris, the Cubs' third base coach, he also is uh, from the same hometown as Jackie Robinson, and he will talk about what yesterday meant to him here inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Having a lot of fun this morning talking Sox, Cubs, everything going on in the world of baseball. I had a good conversation with Dave Wills, the voice of the Rays. David Haw, Bruce Levine here until 11. Bruce, we talked to him about Pat Foley because in Chicago broadcasting, this was a big moment this week, 39 years in the booth for Pat Foley calling Blackhawks games. And as we wait for Willie Harris here, the Cubs third base coach, to join us, wanted to get your perspective as somebody who has been here for all of those seasons and obviously is in a position better than I am to put into context just what Pat Foley meant to Chicago sports broadcasting. Well, first of all, just getting to know Pat over the years, you, you can't find a, a more engaging, interesting, and a caring guy. He's just a wonderful guy who, uh, you know, growing up around here and, uh, you know, being a part of the Chicago fabric for all these years, it's just, uh, it, it's hard for me to, to see him go because, as uh, Dave said, Dave Will said before when he was on with us, it's, it's difficult to, to see a guy leave it when he's at the top of his uh, game. He's still an outstanding broadcaster. I, I think there was a disconnect. I believe that um, uh, the professional way that the Hawks handled it, and more importantly, Pat Foley handled it, was admirable. Not to, uh, not to make things uh, ugly in the last year that he was here, but damn, when, when someone's that good, you know, why do you why do you why do you want him to go? Why why wouldn't he continue? But nonetheless, uh, I will always cherish my friendship with Pat Foley and uh, you know the idea that uh, he is an iconic broadcaster, a historic broadcaster, not only in Chicago but in NHL uh, history is one of the top broadcasters uh, ever. Yeah, baseball provides us. You know, we always refer to it as the soundtrack of summer. Whether it's Pat Hughes here on the score and all the years with the Cubs and certainly Steve Stone. And there are icons in the sport. And it's easy to come up with examples. Harry Carey, Jack Brickhouse, Hawk Harrelson. These are great names and great memories you know, you have when you hear those names and start to recall those voices. And I think Pat Foley's in that same company. A lot of people put him among the tops uh, of, of any list of Chicago sports icons in terms of broadcasting. And and he just went out in a very classy way, regardless of the circumstances, which I agree with you, are, aren't ideal. I don't think goodbyes are ever that uh, – or, they, they can be seamless but I don't, and, and without controversy and without questions. I'm not sure this is uh, one of those situations. But, yeah, good, good uh, for Pat Foley in the way that he went out. It was a classy farewell. Eddie Olchuk handled himself in a way that was great. And – yeah, it was great to hear Dave Wills kind of reminisce about Pat Foley as well, and and you as well, Bruce, because I know you went way back with Pat. Yeah, just a just a terrifically 
fun guy. I remember even going back, geez, 30 years ago when he would come on uh, and talk uh, on the old uh, Evergreen stations, you know, the loop and go on with uh, Steve and Gary and uh, Jonathan Brandmeier and Kevin Matthews. He was terrific. He was a perfect foil for them and a perfect uh, guy to join in on the fun. He always, let's just say, beyond his great broadcasting skills, Pat Foley always got it. Well put. And our next guest does as well. And we'll go to our guest hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And that is where we find one of only two Major League Baseball players ever born in Cairo, Georgia. That's Willie Harris, the Cubs third base coach. Good morning, Willie. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing very well. The other one, obviously, is Jackie Robinson, and that's why I bring, mentioned it because of that significance, Willie, and I enjoyed what you had to say earlier this week about what yesterday represented to you, and I just wondered, as you reflect now a day later, how, uh, how special was yesterday, and, and how would you put this week into context? Well, for me personally, yesterday was huge. Uh, I took it all in during the national anthem, just taking into consideration what, what Jackie went through back in those tough times when he had to go out and not only play baseball, but perform at a high level under such great pressure. Um, it was a very humbling moment for me, uh, and I'm very appreciative of what Jackie did for the game, and, and I take it all in. You know, Willie, uh, and again, uh, great having you on with us. Appreciate it so much. Uh, I heard you with Taylor McGregor from Marquee yesterday do a pregame uh, interview with him. I thought you were really hard on yourself because you said that uh, at that time, and I'll, I'll let you relate it again, that uh, you, you didn't really have a good feel for Jackie Robinson until one of your uh, teachers in high school asked you to do a, uh, a, a story on, on Jackie. And uh, that was only it was when you were 17 years old. Uh, I think you were hard on yourself because, in reality, although he's the most famous person to come from Cairo, Georgia, he he wasn't he wasn't raised there. They moved to California uh, uh, very Correct. quickly, and and he was born and raised in in L.A. Correct. But but the thing the thing with that entire statement, Bruce, is it's not that you know I didn't know until that age. But, I mean, any kid any kid around the country should know who Jackie Robinson is at an early age and not 17 years old. Whether he grew up in California, whether he grew up in Alabama, Cairo, doesn't matter. The significance that he played in, in the game of baseball and our country, I think kids should be learning about it in, in their history classes all over the country. That's what I meant by what I said. It was a shame of right. me learning about him as a 17-year-old only because my teacher – understood and knew the passion that I had for the game of baseball. And Willie, you are uh, the Cubs third base coach. So I imagine that, you know, part of your, you know, your aspirations include being a manager one day. And, and I think that you are certainly somebody that you could, you could point to your qualifications and say, that makes a lot of sense. You look around major league baseball, there are only two black managers, you know, Dave Roberts and Dusty Baker. And I just wonder how you consider how difficult that is with your own goals and, and how would you articulate what, uh, what your goals are moving forward in terms of becoming a manager? Well, for me, I think it's one of those things where I have to, you know, go through the process 
bide my time. I really do feel like that opportunity will present itself down the road at some point. Uh, being able to be considered for the Chicago White Sox managerial job last year, uh, just to go through that interview process was really huge for me. And just understanding that, you know, I'm not looking for a, a, a handout just because I'm African-American. Hey, let's, let's, we need an African-American manager. Let's, let's give it to Willie Harris. No, I want to I wanna get that opportunity because I've earned it. I want to get that opportunity off, off of my merits. And, and I, think I'm, I think I'm able to, to lead a, a major league clubhouse. And I think I have the ability to connect with my players. And I know I have the ability to communicate with, with the media and, and with the staff. All of those boxes are checked. And now it all just boils down to an opportunity. And, and I think you look around the league, like you, you look at the Tony LaRussos and, and the Dusty Bakers, they're really good managers. Someone had to give them an opportunity for them to get, that, to, get to that point. Willie, when you uh, look at the 2022 team, uh, you have a lot of new players and, and a ton of new players since last summer uh, on this club. Uh, the, the one thing that I think when I talk to Cub fans I hear about is, uh, yeah, they miss the superstars like Baez and Rizzo and Bryant, but the enthusiasm that this team plays with is something that caught their attention last year and is catching their attention right now. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, coachability of this team and the way that some of these guys respond to uh, what you and David Ross and the other coaches uh, put on their plate? I mean, coming to the ballpark, I tell you what, it's a lot of fun coming to the ballpark and seeing big Frank the Tank just smiling and looking over and seeing Marshall and all these guys. These guys are, are coming to the ballpark to play. Not saying that Baez and KB and Rizzo and those guys didn't do that, but it's just a different feeling. Uh, it's a different feeling coming into the clubhouse as far as the energy level. These guys are hungry. These guys are excited, and they're baseball players. They want to play the game, and, and they understand they understand the situation that we're in most of the time throughout the course of the game. What needs to be done here? Do we need a home run here? Do we need to drive a ball apple here to move a guy over? These guys understand and they've been buying into what we've been putting out there for them and hopefully it continues and we continue to play well. Joined by Willie Harris, the Cubs third base coach here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. So you go to the clubhouse every day, Willie, and there's energy and there's uh, excitement and you got players who are trying to prove something, who are hungry. How does that translate right. to your own job on the base paths, kind of navigating the traffic there? Are you more likely to be somewhat aggressive with a team built with guys like that or does that not have that carryover effect? Well, when I come to the ballpark, I bring the energy every day anyways. So when I see players who have the same energy and the same passion that, you know, they're out there running the bases, they're getting good secondary leads, they know where the defenders are, it makes my job a lot easier. And I tell the guys this here in the clubhouse, the only time that I'm a little little hesitant coaching third base is when I have Big Frank out there. Big Frank is not free to foot, right? So I have to be smart in those situations. And I understand I'm going to make mistakes, but I have to make those mistakes aggressively. I want to be labeled as an aggressive third base coach and make other teams make plays. And, and from a base running point of view, that's really how you play the game. You take advantage of other teams' mistakes and lazy play, and, and hopefully that can put us in a situation to win ball games throughout the course of the season. Your impressions of uh, Seiya Suzuki and uh, the time that you've had with him so far, obviously <clears throat> he's had a wonderful start to the season, but 
you were also not only a third base coach but an outfield coach. Your your thoughts about the Suzuki's overall game and, and your first impressions? Uh, super professional guy. Uh, he understands the game. He knows how to play the game, and, and he's very funny. He's a very funny guy. He has a great personality. I think he fits right in with the Chicago Cubs and our clubhouse. And I love seeing the smile on his face every day. Look forward to seeing him today, actually, and and just, you know, helping him understand and get more comfortable with our culture and the way we do things over here on the baseball field. I know he told me that he wished, through his interpreter, he wished it was like this in Japan. And, and I think he's really happy with the way, you know, Rossi's treated him and everybody with the Chicago Cubs have treated him. And I think he's going to be a big peak for this puzzle. Quickly before we let you go, Willie, when you look at Nick Madrigal at second base as a former second baseman, where is he in his development? And defensively, how would you evaluate him now? I mean, Madrigal, I mean, you know, he had a he had a serious injury last year, so I think he's still kind of battling that a little bit. But he's definitely a ball player. Um, turns a double play really well. Makes a lot of contact at the plate. Really looking forward to seeing him get hot. And it's hard to get hot when it's cold. You know, it's 30 degrees up here in Colorado. So these guys are finding a way to get their hits. and They're finding a way to put the ball in play. And I'm looking forward to the warm months and the summer months of, of, of Wrigley Field Cubs baseball. Willie, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck today and the rest of this season. Really appreciate your time. Thank you guys for having me on. Willie Harris. Thanks. Cubs third base coach. The pride of Cairo, Georgia, the same hometown as Jackie Robinson, and certainly yesterday meant a little bit more maybe to somebody like that, Bruce. He's a terrific communicator, and you can see why he players uh, like having him around, and you can see why he's on a path to become a manager one day. Right. You know, I've had the, the good fortune of knowing Willie since he was a young player with the White Sox back in the early 2000s, and... 2005 during that championship run and uh he, he was always uh you know always a guy overachieved stayed in the big leagues i think for you know a, a good 12 years you know we talked to josh harrison earlier about uh you know persevering and staying with it you know that that's you know maybe not everyone's a star maybe now not everyone's a superstar making uh 10 million a year but that's something i admire the most about baseball players is taking talent that isn't superstar talent and staying in the game for a long period of time. It says a lot about uh, you as a person as well as a player. We have another segment left. We're going to talk about uh, what Marcus Stroman had to say about Jackie Robinson Day, as well as Bob Kendrick, who we, a friend of the program from the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, when we come back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. And the constant fear, the constant death threats that he had to deal with left and right. I mean, it's incredible that he was able to go out there and perform as he did. So, like I said, I can't give enough thanks to that man. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. David Hoffman's flying here for a final segment. That was Marcus Stroman talking about Jackie Robinson Day and the significance of it yesterday before he pitched. Marcus Stroman uh, gave up, uh, went four innings and, and gave up six runs for the Cubs and lost to the Rockies. But it was a, it was a day that uh, he marked in talking that was a terrific interview with Zach, Zach Zabman on the pregame, Bruce, and it reflected just how yesterday reflected uh, and meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a pr- very profound way. 
Yeah, indeed. And, and, and again, uh, <clears throat> people who don't have the historical uh, content don't understand that uh, it wasn't always Jackie Robinson Day. And it really took until uh, Bud Selig became commissioner for it to become uh, officially a, uh, a, a commemorated day in Major League Baseball in 2005. It started under Bud's uh, um, leadership for Major League Baseball, I think, 1997-98. But, uh, you know, Jackie Robinson passed away in, uh, I believe it was in 1972. So a long time in between drinks for baseball to do anything officially. Uh, so, you know, historically... Another interesting aspect, David, is that uh, on uh, May 18, 1947, when Jackie Robinson played his first game at Wrigley Field in Chicago, uh, 12-year-old Bud Selig was sitting there with his mother and his cousin, and they took the train down to uh, Wrigley Field to watch this historic event uh, at Wrigley Field. And uh, 58 years later, he was the one that uh, instigated the idea that there should be a Jackie Robinson Day uh, every year to commemorate what his historical uh, presence had uh, for this country and this sport and, and really all of us. And what a day it was out at Dodger Stadium, certainly, that I think uh, as special as any place in Major League Baseball. Uh, Jackie Robinson's son was part of the festivities and the ceremony pregame, and, and I think that uh, you look at the 75th anniversary of breaking the color barrier, no better place than Dodger Stadium. Certainly that franchise uh, recognized him as, as much in, as anybody. And, and, Bruce, though, throughout the game, throughout baseball, and one of our friends, Bob Kendrick, the uh, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum uh, in Kansas City, was on uh, the, our show yesterday with Mully and Haw in the morning talking about what uh, yesterday meant to, uh, to Bob Kendrick. Jackie Robinson reminds us of that. His breaking of the color barrier is so much bigger than the game of baseball. This was the beginning of the civil rights movement in this country. But we understand that there's still, like I said, left work left to be done. A museum like ours helps bring this story to the forefront. And it helps you identify with those passionate athletes who, as I like to say, forged a glorious history in the midst of an inglorious time of American history. But ultimately, guys, they built that bridge that Jackie Robinson crossed over. And now Tim Anderson gets to cross over. And the other black players that you alluded to that are now, and not only the black players, but the brown players. Really cool, Bruce. That was Bob Kendrick to think that this this national awareness and certainly the commemoration yesterday has this national focus and certainly but has this local impact with you have guys like Josh Harrison and Tim Anderson mentioned there, the only black double play combination in Major League Baseball. Very powerful images, very strong examples leading from the front. Yeah, you're right about that, David. Um, it, it is a powerful image. The, the, the part that I don't, I don't like is that the numbers continue to dwindle with 6.8% of Major League players are African-American. And you know, Bob has alluded to it, uh, a lot of the other African-American athletes, and it doesn't take uh, you to be African-American to understand that uh, a lot of the young athletes are playing other sports. And they're, they're, they're playing uh, basketball, they're playing football, they're playing soccer, uh, they're playing a lot of other sports. And uh, it's, um, 
it, it's unfortunate that more of them aren't. I know Major League Baseball is uh, tempted with their uh, with their programs and uh, the Cubs and White Sox in their special programs for developing uh, youth baseball in the Chicago areas to do as much as they can uh, to get them out there. But uh, it, it's just, you know, it's going the other way. I think it peaked at around 23% in 1980, uh, right. that uh, 23% of all players were African-American then. And, you know, 42 years later, um, you know, it's it's dropped two-thirds. And that, that is, uh, that's really unfortunate. I, I worry about that because uh, you want all the great athletes, regardless of race, playing in the games that you love. And, you know, baseball has always been my passion. Uh, I love the other sports, but uh, to me, baseball uh, is, is the, uh, the one thing that uh, is the best. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of players from Latin America uh, uh, come here. Uh, which, if you add up the African-American numbers and the uh, Latin American numbers, it's almost 40% of the players are of uh, players of color. So from that perspective, it's a little different. Friday was a very special day around Major League Baseball, commemorating you know the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. But it's got to be more than just one day. I think we all agree it's got to be a commitment that is beyond just one day, and the awareness has to be heightened as well, and change has to be uh, made and, and continue to make progress there. But that was hey, a, guess who's uh, reunited uh, next? Yeah, we are reunited, and it feels so good. Bruce, stick to the jingles. Okay, Uh, Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, they are Saturday Suckage coming up. Cubs baseball tonight on the score, 635. Thank you, Josh Harrison. Thank you, Dave Wills. Thank you, Willie Harris. Thank you, Bruce, for setting everything up today. And thank you, Cesar, for doing a tremendous job producing our show. We will talk to you next week. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine on our website at 670thescore.com. David, great job. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Bruce. I'll be on Mullion Hoff Monday morning, 5 o'clock, breaking down Cubs and Sox and the Bulls playoffs. Thanks for listening. Inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.